I'm only going to tell you this once. That is now your chair, Captain. My friends, the great experiment. The greatest trick, trick, trick. Hidden trick, trick. Would you look at that? The greatest trick, trick. Welcome to Greatest Trek. It's a new Star Trek podcast from the makers of The Greatest Generation. I'm Ben Harrison. I'm Adam Pranica. Adam, we have a guest today. A beloved returning guest. It's true. We never do this. Oh, let's oh just, shit. Let's Anna. just let him out, shall we? <laughs> oh, hell yeah. What's in the can? Uh, this is some... Very fine German lager from Knoxville, Tennessee. A little brewery called Schultzbrau, which I believe that? is what the Germans uh, say for uh, Schultz's brew. Mm, uh, yeah. Indeed. And uh, yeah, yeah, it's just uh, it's just delightful. Their uh, their brew pub looks like a castle, but it's made out of like like concrete blocks. It's got crenellations of concrete blocks. Oh, yeah, or castellations, as some of us call them. <laughs> were, were the blocks shipped over from the fatherland? <laughs> On a boat? I just love thinking about like, what would be the fatherland of concrete blocks. Like like, mm. like Bayonne, New Jersey, maybe? Sure. Yeah, or wherever Frank Flintstone comes from. Uh, it's Adam Ragusea, live from the greenhouse, here on Greatest Trek. Uh, thank you so much for joining us, the Goose. I'm so happy to be here. Did 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 someone the last time that I was on this program try to like phase cancel out the background noise of of my greenhouse? Why would they do that? I don't know, but <laughs> it sort of sounded like it, and I was just like, it, "It's just a greenhouse. It's okay. People know it's a greenhouse. There's bugs. There's there's fish." Listen, do you hear that? I don't hear a thing. Exactly. Well, you come from the NPR world where there's always like the sounds of a, a playground in the background to establish a sense of place. Yes, that's right. Right. Exactly. Where the, where the editors would not let you layer certain sounds. So you would have to like really kind of rustle the gravel underneath your feet while you were doing the stand up. Mm. Yeah, it would be unethical to hear the delighted sounds of children enjoying a jungle gym. There, one other like big ethical rule like that was that you were not allowed to make internal edits of, well, I'll ask you one person. So internal edits would be, um, you know, subtractive edits within the quote, as opposed to just zooming in on the quote, going in and removing guts out of the quote. Right. And one of the reasons why like public radio, everybody sounds so fucking smart on public radio is that they've been internally edited to hell. And all of their ums and uhs and false starts and ev everything that wasn't super smart has been taken out by uh, an underpaid uh, hero behind the computer. <laughs> We've actually tried to do that on our show, but uh, there's no audio left if you <laughs> take right, everything exactly. that doesn't sound super smart out. We do call Wendy an underpaid hero, though. <laughs> we do that constantly. Dude, Wendy is like, <laughs> Wendy, if you're listening... I'm just going to presume that Wendy is... No, she's not going to listen to this episode. So, because uh, <laughs> somebody else is going to produce this one, right? So she's not going to listen to this one. Okay, so w someone tell Wendy at some point that Adam said, it's so fun how her, like, authorial voice is now coming through in the edits and, like, you know, all, all, all the fun little interjections that are clearly Wendy speaking through the editing is super fun and, and it's just it's just delightful that she's... She's just riding the sidecar in the two-sided motorcycle that, no, those don't, those don't exist. Yeah. No, I think that hers is, is fully a third comedic voice in the show at this point. And uh, we really, we really love that that's started to happen. Um, but anyways, there's one person that NPR won't internally edit. Who's, who's the one person NPR won't internally edit? It feels like this. the answer to your question, Goose, could be like a president of the United States. But if it's just one person, I don't know why one would get a special treatment over any other. Well, there's the fact that there is only one president at a time. That is one of the defining features of, you know, 
our democracy. Oh, and and when and in situations where there is more than one president at one time, we have serious problems. Um, <laughs> but yes, that is it. The, and the justification for why you weren't allowed to internally edit the president is that the president is so widely quoted that if a person hears a quote one way on NPR and then a different way on a different news outlet, then that would undermine their trust. Hmm. And I'm like, that's that's a reason to never internally edit anyone ever. Like that's that we might get caught. That's your reason. <laughs> it, it makes a really interesting assumption about the media literacy of your audience to to say that. Well, there's that too. Exactly. Well, it's all it's all so ridiculous. But I I, I want to emphasize that I this, I'm not like out here doing like a uh, a gotcha airing the dirty laundry of public radio. Like the laundry is 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 immaculate over at, at public broadcasting and i wish hmm. them all the best we'll leave that to brooke gladstone it's important to have set the ground rules for the interview we're about to have with you goose so because it is going to be pretty hard hitting we're going to be asking the tough questions Fuck. and we're not going to let you weasel out of things am i on the drum head <laughs> first question are you excited for the 2024 slate of things coming out from Paramount Plus that have the Star Trek label attached to them. <laughs> I'm super excited to listen to you guys talk about them. <laughs> I mean, it's so funny how like how how amusing and, and I mean, how totally enjoyable your suite of programs is slash are, even if you've not watched the shows that you guys are talking about. Right. You guys are so good at keeping to the plot, as it were, uh, making sure that you're telling the listener all the basic information they need to know about what happened. Um, and, you know, it's it's almost like, a, what is what is the show to you guys? It's not like the script you're... It's like, um, you know, it's like the show is the blanket that you two are weaving together. But, the you know, the what we're really here for is, is you guys chattering over the weaving. We're weaving the blanket while we're flying it. <laughs> that's right. After eight years, that's a heavily weighted blanket, too. It's kind of become a death shawl at this point. Wow. Uh, <laughs> so the plan for this episode is we'll do some, some Q&A stuff later, but um, I did want to go over everything that's coming up in 2024 because Wendy made us a great big list. You know the greatest danger facing us is an irrational fear of the unknown. Unknown. Black alert. Unknown. Black alert. It seems like the Netflix re-release of season one of Prodigy is happening. I guess it will already have happened by the time this comes out. It, it'll uh, it, it'll come out on uh, Christmas of 2023. And then we're expecting season two to drop this year, but we don't actually know. And what is the state of Prodigy? So Prodigy season two was basically done when Paramount Plus canceled the show and removed Prodigy from its streaming service for some creepy tax reason. Mm -hmm. And uh, after a much deserved fan outcry, they agreed to sell it to Netflix. So Netflix now has Prodigy. And uh, and we'll get season two. I mean, it would have been such a waste to not get season two. Indeed. And uh, I have shown several episodes of Prodigy to my kids. They have been delighted by it. Uh, really could not speak more highly of that program. I think they're doing great things. Yeah, indeed. It's going to really screw up your algorithm, though. If I start watching a children's show on Netflix, <laughs> my whole thing is blown. I get to set up a different profile, don't I? My God, you have no idea. You have no idea how wrecked my Netflix has been for uh, nine years now. Oh, that sucks. Have you thought about starting all over <laughs> with a, a new profile? You could do that. Maybe. Wow. Maybe it's time. This has happened to my uh, Apple Music, which I don't know if, if you can do profiles in it, because I play like lullabies and Raffi and stuff for Darone on the... HomePod in his bedroom sometimes. And now, like, when I go to the new music yeah. tab, it's like rap banger, rap banger, rap banger, Raffi song, rap banger, Raffi song, lullaby. <laughs> Alphabetically, that kind of works. Where it gets really interesting is when they get old enough to be able to talk to Siri and then they ask Siri for one song and then the Siri gives them a very different song. <laughs> 
Very, very different song. Yeah. Like, do you have an example of this happening? The comedic effect? Perhaps the request for a Raffi song that instead delivered a rap banger? It's karma, because this is what we do as reporters. We always like press people for examples. So, you know, can you think of a time when that happened? Can you tell me about yeah. a time when that happened? <laughs> right? <laughs> and then you say, and then you do the Ira Glass question, which is, what would you make of that? Mm. This is gets them to reflect. How'd that make you feel, Goose? No, no, they don't say how. No, no, no. He, he does not say how'd that make you feel, because that's touchy-feely. And there's like lots of people who don't react well to that question. Oh, yeah. Right? Um, but if you ask people, hey, what would you make of that? Then like anyone across any culture will be able to respond to that with something, you know, They'll be like, mm. oh, well, that was just the biggest motherfucking thing I'd ever seen, you know, and then uh, they'd have to bleep it because it's public radio, but they can internally edit it because it's not the president. I mean, unless the president was saying that's the biggest motherfucking <laughs> thing I've ever seen. What do you think of that? <laughs> what do you think? What'd you make of that? president of the federation in your seat of san francisco no 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 no. san francisco is where the federation is based paris paris is the seat of the federation san francisco is where starfleet yeah. is based paris is the seat of the federation correct and isn't it kind of fucked that like one world gets both of those capitals the federation is i mean earth is one among many i mean that's why starfleet always gets the accusation it's a homo sapiens only club you know what i always heard that that line is a homo sapien zoning club <laughs> and it still worked yeah you know that line still worked but like also like the founding members are the tellerites the andorians the vulcans and the humans but like you barely see tellerites and andorians in starfleet ever that's what i'm looking forward to come on let's see those motherfuckers let's see the green ladies the vulcans have their own fleet like they're they're out there fleeting around the Vulcan erasure in Star Trek is really something. Do you think there are embassies on other uh, Federation worlds, though? Like, I bet, I bet Paris isn't Surely. the only spot where business like that happens. Like, I bet you go to Kronos and they've got like the Andorian consulate building there, right? I bet the Andorian consulate building is a lot of fun. They got more than just three yeah. breasted cats dancing in there. Specifically the one on Kronos. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yes. Think of the scandals involving the security detail on Kronos <laughs> and and Kronos call girls. Oh man. Absolutely. Oh, speak well, so speaking of which, okay, so so Discovery Disco is ending. The endeth of Disco. The endeth cometh. Yeah, this uh season five will be the last season. We have an official log line. It will find Captain Burnham and the crew of the USS Discovery uncovering a mystery that will send them on an epic adventure across the galaxy to find an ancient power whose very existence has been deliberately hidden for centuries. But there are others on the hunt as well, dangerous foes who are desperate to claim the prize for themselves and will stop at nothing to get it. My power cannot be hidden forever. <laughs> Bury me at your peril. <laughs> Or you can go the way of the hooshnack. <laughs> um, talk about hiding something forever. You're never going to find those guys. What if Kevin is what she found? That would be huge. Please. Huge if true. Yeah. Come on. I mean, we would have to hope. Kevin. Hope beyond hope. that Kevin imprisoned himself. Yeah. Right? And out of his guilt. Right. And he is unearthed. Who's more evil Kevin or Emperor Georgiou? Like, who's got more bodies? Mm. God. I mean, eliminating an entire species, I don't think, is something Georgiou ever accomplished, right? Like, she, sub yeah, but she, she subjugated too. a lot of them. Could it? I was just sitting here thinking, like, who would I more like to see found as if, like, Saddam found in his little <laughs> hobbit hole, right? With his long beard. <laughs> And I was imagining Kevin that way, but now I'm imagining George O that way, and that's pretty fucking funny. I'll tell you whatever you want to know after a shower and a cup of tea. And I think Michelle Yeoh would be, like, up for that joke. I think, yeah, Michelle Yeoh would for sure be up for that. And, and there is a, a George O movie happening, uh, apparently unlikely to come out in uh, 2024. I think that they have a script, but, you know, the strike uh, kind of Sure. 
set everything back on on filming the film. Also, I would think that Michelle Yeoh's negotiating power has increased substantially. Like exponentially since... In the last few months, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But it sounds like she's she is in and they're going to shoot it in uh, Toronto uh, during the production, of, I guess, of season three of Strange New Worlds. Um, so uh, excited about that. Are you a Discovery watcher? Do you watch or, or is that one that you only listen to our show for? I basically, I as with most of the series that you guys are watching that I don't watch, when you watch one that intrigues me, I'll kind of dip into it. Okay. Um, Disco is a hard one for me just because I my feelings on it are so torn. Um, I just love it and hate it so intensely, <laughs> you know? It's like... I feel really similarly like it's such a great show in so many ways and then they do things that just like are so frustrating. Yeah. How do you think they're going to land that plane? I don't know, man. I I'm not quite sure if it's landable. Uh, like it sounds like they're just doing another like, well, I guess we'll do like a big thing is going to threaten the galaxy story, you know, based on that word salad of a log line. Looks like no Strange New World season three in 2024. How about that? No, no. They're not going to be done shooting it until midsummer, and uh, so the release is probably going to be 2025. And how many episodes will there be? Like three? I hope that there will be more than three. I want to go back to 24 episode seasons. God, wasn't that awesome? Fucking oh. like 35 episodes. All three hours long, 75% of it commercials. Bring it back. Adam and I wouldn't have a career without that business model. <laughs> I want to see Law and time travel more. I want to see more legacy characters get killed in those alternate timelines. Fun season, season two. I really liked it. I did too. I, I was a little softer on it than season one, but I thought it had a lot of strong stuff in it. Anything you don't want them to do? In the in season three that they did a lot of in season one or two, anything you'd you'd like to see them get away from? No, I'm real happy with Strange New Worlds. It's just a return to what I wanted, and it's so terrible because I'm so torn between really wanting to stand against all of the traditionalists and not my <laughs> trekkers and all those motherfuckers. But at the same time, I can't help but like Trek for the reasons that I like Trek. And I get it in Strange New Worlds, and I get that monster of the week, often relatively low stakes, kind of silly, fripperous little romps, you know, that are mm -hmm. what we all came for. And the ponderous heaviness um, that from which Discovery has never recovered. I'm glad that that has mostly been shaken off yeah. by a show like Strange New Worlds. I hate that like Disco had almost had to like be sacrificed so that <laughs> Strange New Worlds could live, which is horrible. Because I would really rather have seen Strange New Worlds be made with Disco's cast and core characters. Oh, that's interesting. You know? Just a funny monster of the week romp with those people. And not even evil Giorgio. Like the beginning. You know, give me, you know, give me like everybody's awesome big sister, Georgia. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Georgia's buying you cigarettes, but she's not genociding. <laughs> <laughs> right. Exactly. And it's the thing that I, it's like the original sin of disco that I can never forgive that show for, which is that it gave me the show that I wanted and then it took it away precisely to make me hurt. To make me feel um, the depths that I would feel with Burnham when she's right. in that prison ship, right? Um, to feel as though, oh, this isn't your father's trick. You know, trick's been turned upside down. It's been made real, right? I mean, it was very effective, but yeah, like it, it, it's not quite what we're going to to trek for necessarily. No, I want fucking fun sci-fi romps that like are usually you know trek is usually at its best when dealing with matters of ethics and culture and how it intertwines with matters of physical science 
Um, give me those fucking stories. Give me monster of the week shit. Um, and, and, and give me a world where people, where things work and people have friction. Everyone has friction, but show me a world where people have achieved amazing things and can do amazing things together because they love each other. And that's what we saw for, for like 10 minutes in establishing shots in the pilot of disco. You know, what's occurring to me is of all of the new Trek things, I think that the amount of funny knuck in the costumes is probably the lowest <laughs> on disco. Do you think that has anything to do with, you know, the, the, the tone of the shit. show? You just, do you realize what you just breathed into existence, Ben? <laughs> like the knuck indicator? Uh -huh. Some fucking nerd out there is going to make a knuck indicator. Yeah. yeah. Like when you go to a sporting event and like the decibel meter <laughs> needle climbs as everyone is cheering and screaming. Yeah. Like this one has, has just a crotch uh -huh. getting more and more bulbous. <laughs> it's just it's just a moose knuckle and it either points this way or it points this way. Yeah. It's that simple. I know that not everything is for everyone and I'm fine with the the choices that Discovery has made. I hmm? I I'm kind of sad that there's only one season left because I think it could have used more time to realize its true potential. Like I feel like this is a premature ending to a show that maybe was starting to figure itself out or if if it had any hope of that going to need more than 10 episodes right like imagine if we had canceled tng on the basis of its first 30 episodes or 50 like the first two seasons are super uneven like disco is going to get the total number of episodes as tng got in its first two seasons yeah that's the thing these shows they just don't get enough at bats and it's not fair yeah yeah so shows today have less money per minute of runtime generally, right? And um, and so I think that means that productions move at a sort of a brisk pace. But on the other hand, they're not on that weekly schedule, that treadmill that you're on when you do a weekly show. Right. Um, syndicated and all of these people downstream are depending on you and it has to has to be there it has to be the exact right length and have the exact right holes for commercial breaks and all of that and i want and being in that kind of situation you know even if you have more money per minute of runtime as they did back then i wonder if that doesn't prompt you to make different decisions and to kind of make snap decisions to make decisions and commit to them and move on and, you know, fail fast and spectacularly and learn and move forward or whatever the fuck Silicon Valley shit bags say these days. Right. right. Um, that I wonder if that wasn't better for that sh a show in a, in the long run, as opposed to now where like a lot of more time and money seems to get spent up front, kind of deciding what the show is going to be and how it's going to feel and all of that. Like you need the certainty to get the buy-in from the people that you need it from, you know? Right, exactly. Yeah. So, I mean, you think about late season TNG episodes that were like a show about Data's fucking cat, you know? <laughs> yeah. Data's gonna like have some big thoughts about his cat for an hour in primetime network television, right? <laughs> That's completely insane, but it's something that was made possible by the fact that like the syndication contracts had been written years ago, you know, and the show that they made is the show that everyone was going to take whether whether they wanted it or not right it's not like now where like i have you know when i go to make a fucking video i have to think about like not just can i give people something because they know that adam ragusea will give them interesting things or do i give them something that in it in and of itself can sell itself on its own terms Right. Right. As as every piece of content in the on demand economy must do. Whereas before with the jam it down your throat like you're a duck being bred for foie gras, you know, economy <laughs> of media um, where they just jammed it right down our throats like a big hot cock. Um, <laughs> it, then we, we were willing to kind of take whatever. And we took fucking they just squirted episodes about Data's cat down our throats and we 
took it and it was awesome. We swallowed we that loved shit. It. And now like that bond of trust is broken. Yeah. I've heard that uh this may be apocryphal. Maybe you can speak to this, Goose. I've heard that in pop music, like the logic now is you always try to get the hook as close to the beginning of the song as you can and and that's why there's no like long lead in uh you know, tracks to I guess start with the chorus, baby. Start with the chorus. Right. Like specifically, I guess this applies to songs that they are trying to make, uh, you know, hits off off the album. They're not like uh, doesn't apply to every cut on a record. But um, but yeah, like pop music, you can't get away with a, a three minute intro before the the lead singer starts in. It's so funny. Anymore. You know where you saw that in TV? In TV, the comparable phenomenon was like the the theme song how like network you know old school network show theme songs were incredibly long because people would people would watch them because they had no other option and it was a way of just (laughs) saving money on production time for each half hour episode you've got you know two minutes of gummy bears theme song sung by (laughs) joseph williams john williams son who at the time was, I think, the singer in Toto, uh, right? like, you know, two and a half, two minutes of this, like, fucking long, multi-sectioned Gummy Bears song, right? It just, you know, that was done and in the can for every single episode, and so it was money-saving. And then when streaming took over and everybody started skipping the theme songs, then theme songs got really short. And then... All of the streaming platforms built in the functionality where you can skip intro, and then the theme songs got really fucking long again. I like it thick. Uh, should we get to some questions? We got a, a whole bunch of questions submitted by uh, fans of. Oh, you want to cue my A? Cue guys can. You two can just like saddle up next to each other and just cue my A for as long as you want. Okay. We need to score a lot of laughs fast. I have tried so many meal services over the years. After all, I am a podcast host. And I got to tell you, Factor Meals is my favorite. Why? Because I can go from what am I going to have for dinner to eating a great dinner in exactly two minutes with Factor Meals. And don't sleep on their smoothies either. I got six of these in the box this week. Mango, tropical fruit, strawberry or banana. They're all amazing. They're like meal supplements I can enjoy while I'm on the go. Head to factormeals.com slash trek50 and use the code trek50 to get 50% off. Again, that's the code trek50 at factormeals.com slash trek50 to get 50% off. Top of the morning to ya. This episode is brought to you by the St. Patrick's Day Shamrock Shavers Manscaped. This year, don't just chase rainbows. Make your own pot of gold and groom your little leprechaun with the leaders in Below the Kilt Care. I didn't make that up. That's actual copy sent to us by the great folks over at Manscaped who make the shaver that I use downstairs on my little leprechaun. And uh, I recommend it. Uh, it works great. Uh, trimming the hedges in your Irish garden isn't just for below the belt. You can complete your look with their new signature Beard Hedger Pro Kit plus Handyman Electric Face Shaver. Everything they make is really good and high quality, and this new trimmer that they have comes with two interchangeable next-gen skin-safe blades. They've got one for a classic trim and a new foil blade to go smooth wherever your heart desires. So get 20% off plus free shipping with code TREK at manscaped.com. That's 20% off and get free shipping with code TREK at manscapes.com. This St. Patrick's Day, make sure your little hairy leprechaun is luckier than ever with Manscaped. It has been a long time coming that podshop.biz is as good as it is. The stuff on there is just really high quality and there's a ton of variety. We've got t-shirts and sweatshirts, obviously, but we've got hats, we've got mugs, we've got water bottles, patches mouse pads, shower shoes. There's so much great stuff on there. I'm really proud of what we have on offer. I'm proud that the store has a lot of really great size inclusive options. And uh, I think there's enough variety that just about any friend of DeSoto could find something that they'd really love to have in their collection at podshop.biz. So head over there and give it a look. Why don't you? Back for another game. You know it. What's going on? 
Just one more week till Max Fun Drive. <laughs> Hard to believe. It's been a heck of a year since the last one. We're now a worker-owned co-op. We raised $50,000 for charity last year. And we've added a bunch of awesome new shows. But do you think we're ready to do it again? Absolutely. Lovely new gifts are lined up. The episodes will be amazing. And wait till everyone hears the bonus content. Yeah, plus they know to go to MaximumFun.org newsletter, so they're getting all the news. Oh, like that meetup day is on Thursday, March 21st. Then what's bothering you? Me? Oh, nothing. We're all set for Max Fun Drive to start on Monday, March 18th. I just didn't want you to see this coming. Check. What? Hang on! Most of the plants humans eat are technically grass. Most of the asphalt we drive on is almost a liquid. The formula of WD-40 is San Diego's greatest secret. Zippers were invented by a Swedish immigrant love story. On the podcast Secretly Incredibly Fascinating, we explore this type of amazing stuff. Stuff about ordinary topics like cabbage and batteries and socks. Topics you'd never expect to be the title of the podcast. Secretly Incredibly Fascinating. Find us by searching for the word secretly in your podcast app. And at MaximumFun.org. I thought I'd start uh, with one from the Discord uh, sent in by Santar Klaus. And the question is, question for Ben, Adam, and Adam Ragusia. How are you guys holding up? How are you holding up, Branica? I feel great. <laughs> I'm, uh, I'm greeting the end of the year with uh, a thrashed voice. I consider this year a success. Yeah. Were you at like a sporting event that you were cheering at or? Yeah. I was at two, but I wasn't screaming my head off there. Yeah. Maybe uh, that's all that did it. Yeah. I went to both an Atlanta Falcons game and Atlanta Hawks game on back-to-back nights. Are you in Atlanta? I was. I was uh, for the past three days. You were four hours south of here? What the fuck, dude? I know. I know. Secret trip. Yeah. (laughs) I understand that. Not a lot of people want to get sucked into my orbit. No, I, I, I should have given you a buzz. Uh, this is a great one to to ask with uh, with the goose on. Uh, this is from Stolen Valor NCC four twenty sixty nine. <laughs> Fuck Mary Kill Jerry Goldsmith James Horner and Stephen Barton slash Frederick Weedman. Who are those last two humans? Yeah, I don't know. I don't know those. I don't know those names. I, All right, hold on. Okay, I'm gonna look up Stephen Barton. You look up the other guy. Well, I would definitely uh, fuck Jerry Goldsmith. Hells yeah. I work out to Jerry Goldsmith. That guy really puts lead in the pencil. So <laughs> You work out in Jerry Goldsmith. I think that's my choice. Uh, sure, and I'll marry James Horner. Seems like a real... A marriage set to uh, his scores, I think, would be really pleasurable. Sounds nice. Now, if it was Jack Horner, how would that change your answer? Oh, uh, even better. I think it would... It would f- Swap them. Okay. Born ready, Jack. Oh, okay. Stephen Barton, born 1982, the year that I was born. God, I'm such a fucking failure. Uh, (laughs) Was the primary composer for season three of Picard. I didn't know that. Oh, yeah. And I guess uh, Frederick Wiederman worked on it with him. Exactly. Oh, okay. There we go. I will say, I think you guys even mentioned this in your uh, episode, but the Q... When the ship comes out of the station Mm -hmm. in that penultimate episode was doing, I mean, it would really have to trip over its own dick in order to fuck fuck up that moment. Like we, we feel so much in that moment, but holy shit, it, you know, they, Stephen Barton and or Frederick Weedman definitely did his or his homework on that cue, even though he didn't have to, because anything, you could have played the fucking, like, you know, Benny Hill, yep, da 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 fucking music when that shit pulled out of the station. <laughs> <laughs> and it still would have worked. I saw a vanity plate that said Yakety Sax the other day. I was like, that's a good vanity <laughs> plate. <laughs> and then the entrepreneur pulls away with the We Break for No One bumper sticker on it from Spaceballs. Uh Come on. Come on. Oh, the missed opportunities. Release that cut. Why? Why aren't we in the fucking room? Why aren't why aren't we in the room where it happens? I ask. 
<laughs> we need to get in there. How does it make you feel to not be in the room, Goose? <sighs> anyway, that was a really good music cue, wasn't it? When the ship comes out of uh, the old uh, the, the museum. I think yeah. as a Star Trek fan. One of the most jackable moments of 2023. Oh, you just love seeing it come out. That's one of the things that makes being a Star Trek fan great. I know, exactly. For it to go in, Truly. it must come out. Zen. <laughs> Uh, here, here's one from C. Faravar. I wonder who that could be on uh, the Reddit. Oh my goodness. What Star Trek character would make the best podcast host? Jake Sisko on writing? Janeway on dogs? Trip on the best beaches in Florida? Picard era Geordi on Starfleet history? Wow. Yeah. I like that there are pitches in there. Well, I mean, you think Sarus Faravar doesn't show up to a meeting with pitches? That guy is made of pitches. He's a stack of pitches. He's got binders <laughs> full of pitches. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah I, I mean i like all those pictures a lot um i feel like in the pale moonlight has a very podcast like history podcast energy to it yeah so like uh like h- hardcore history but it's cisco telling you about the dominion war feels like it could be a lot of fun yeah i've never listened to hardcore history but i uh understand it's a very popular show I mean, for a while, Neelix was doing the news on Voyager. You know, that seems yeah. like uh, a, right. that seems like a lane that he could get into, wouldn't you say? Yeah. No, Neelix needs to be like the guy. You guys ever wa- listen to New Heights, the 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 Kelsey's show, Travis and Jason Kelsey, the footballmen who are brothers, and one of them is dating uh, Taylor Swift. I'm aware, but uh, yeah, okay. So, yeah, they've got, like, their cute-ass intern, Brandon. <laughs> Pretty sure I knew what you yeah. just asked. <laughs> yeah, I feel, I feel like cute-ass intern Neelix. Imagine if, like, Neelix... Imagine if Neelix was editing the show and trying to make authorial interjections through his edits. Yeah. What would he do? I think he'd be great at that. Yeah. Which Austin Powers clips would he use in order to comment on the situation? You're not missing anything. I looked into it. I mean, I think the doctor on Voyager, who is a character who loves hearing themselves talk, would be a good candidate for this. Just leave him on, alone, in the six bay, prattling on. (laughs) Oh, and speaking of, that one professor that Picard talks about, who just keeps talking and talking in one long, unbroken sentence... That guy. I feel like the doctor would do, would find a place for himself in the like um, fragile masculinity creator economy, mm-hmm. right? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Like that he, man he, could, he, that hologram could sell a lot of boner pills. Yeah. Mark Peterson. It's a little easy, but honestly, come on. What, how great of an interviewer would Troy be? Troy would obviously be the Terry Gross of the 24th century, right? Yeah. Absolutely. Barkley's going to murder her, right? Like, on a long enough timeline, that eventually happens? Oh, yeah, I mean, she survives to, to Picard season three, but... Uh, Jesus. A Star Trek is a place that's a, a cat and mouse game between, like, a Barkley that's finally totally snapped yeah. and a Troy that's trying to get away from him. I would watch that shit. That would honestly be a really, really great and subversive piece of fanfic for somebody to write that would be like a great comment on whatever kind of fucking masculinity that actor represents with his bullshit. And yeah, and do, <laughs> telling it through a Trek story, that would be rad. It's taken, but with Jonathan Frakes playing the character mm-hmm. out for revenge. How would Frakes deliver the line, what's in the box? <laughs> <laughs> I don't have a Frakes impression. If you ask me to mimic Jonathan Frakes, my answer is going to be no way. (laughs) Uh, All right. Here's another one from the Reddit. Uh, Rudy Wills one asks, if you had access to replicated food that had essentially the same nutritional value, no matter what you eat, how would your eating habits change? How often would you cook just for the fun of cooking? Would it matter if... It were recycled waste as long as the finished product had the right flavor and texture. Please play Admiral just for men saying it's pretty good for shit. It's pretty good for shit. Well, Rudy, uh, I got bad news for you. But literally all of the food you eat now is already recycled shit. Great point. 
Sorry. <laughs> I have to break this to people on the internet frequently that food comes from the ground. They're often shocked and dismayed. Um, but yes, food comes from the ground, and so do we, and to the ground we shall return. Mm. Um, whether we are beamed there as into a solid planetoid, um, or if we simply decompose therein, time will tell. But what would I eat if, God, I mean... Yeah, I think the spirit of the question is, like, what's the thing you eat if there are no consequences? Right. Shit. I'm I'm wondering, like, if I if I make, like, loaded nachos for myself out of the replicator and it's got nominal nutritional value, can I still get sick from just, like, a bunch of greasy pork and cheese going into my face? Surely not. This is what makes Janeway's choice of vegetable broth all the time so insane sounding. Like, <laughs> you got to believe that's not for any sort of intestinal distress reason or whatever. It certainly can't be for taste. What is she doing it for? Well, here's the question. If I ate a whole pizza, but it was nutritionally equivalent to like an equivalent mass of broccoli. Mm-hmm. I mean, I can put away a whole pizza. That's fine. That's easy. This has happened many times. This may happen tonight. Would you be gassier or less gassy if you had an equivalent amount of cruciferous veg? Right. If that much fiber hit me all at once. Yeah. Oh, wow. Like <laughs> That'd be a cleanse. You're going to need the force field that goes over the, 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 the holes in the bulkhead. Yeah. You know what's really, honestly, what's actually kind of fun about this question because th- is that it, it, it forces us to consider um, what we would learn about ourselves if this set of facts comes to be, if and when this set of facts comes to be. What will we reach for when nutrition is no longer relevant and how it's going to make us feel for the rest of the day is no longer relevant. Right. Will we actually reach for the things? Will we actually just eat Skittles all day long? <laughs> I kind of doubt it, but I kind of think we would eat a lot of Skittles. I feel like there'd be more Skittles, but I feel like we'd, you'd get sick of that and you'd end up wanting some vegetable soup anyway. I love vegetable soup, but I don't know. There's no way to find out until it kind of like happens. The weirdest part of this question to me is how often would you cook just for the fun of cooking? The same amount. Like, I cook because it's fun. It also tastes better, but like, even if there were replicated ingredients or whatever of equivalent nutritional value, I, I think it's still fun to put things together. That's what they're doing, right? When when we see them, like, cut up a carrot super weird on Star Trek, they're cutting up a <laughs> replicated carrot. Yeah. Yeah. They're not, like, getting that shipped fresh from Earth, right? Those aren't growing out of weird dirt. <laughs> Why would you bother cutting up a carrot unless it was I feel like if people were I feel like people will still cook for fun, right? But if they're gonna do it, they're gonna do it with like a real natural born carrot from the arboretum, right? That <laughs> a fucking Keiko carrot, right? Right? Just the way it is now. Like people don't people don't you know, when a fucking hipster, you know, goes in your neighborhood, Ben, like goes to go, you know, cook something, they don't go down to like the stop and shop and get like the, you know, the the dollar pork special ground pork special that's like turning gray. Like they go and they buy like the nice <laughs> thing because they think like if I'm going to do it, I'm going to do it. Right. The Keiko carrot would be a great name for a Star Trek branded sex toy. Mm, there you go. Coming soon to podshop.biz. Here's another question from the Discord. Some rail fan asked, question for the three of you, were there any mistakes you made early on in your podcasting slash YouTube careers that you wish you could go back and tell yourself not to do? Sincerely, someone hoping to start their own pod and trying not to fuck it up. Nope, nope, nope. La, 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 no, no, la, 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 nope, nope, nope. <laughs> well, Goose, we all know that you haven't made any mistakes. I, I can't think about them, so let's go with that. oh buddy i think that to a certain extent the mistakes that haunt me the most are ones that we sort of had to make like i don't think that 
there's anything you can do to really prepare for having an audience if you've never had an audience before or having a platform if you've never had a platform before to use a more needlessly modernistic terminology for it i guess i guess what i'm saying is like like some of those like learn the hard way things sort of have to be learned the hard way or you just have to have like really great instincts oh of course i mean you could argue that all of it is like that right that all of your mistakes make you who you are um and and if you like who you are then it's difficult to really regret the ones or at least it's difficult to regret the ones that hurt only you as opposed to the ones that hurt other people those those you regret a lot Mm -hmm. yeah um I mean, I I remember having a conversation with you, Ben, very early on in the run of Greatest Generation, where, you know, at the time I was working in public radio and and was in a much more buttoned down world than the one that I inhabit now. And I was like, God, these jokes you guys are making. I didn't know that you could still make those jokes. (laughs) Like, I thought I thought like guys couldn't make those jokes anymore. Like, I, I live in a world where you can't do that. And and you were like, Ben, you were like, yeah, it may indeed turn out that we live in that world, too. And indeed, it kind of did. You know, <laughs> there were some jokes that it turned out kind of people felt weren't cool and good on you guys. You, you, you stopped them because instead of like doing the dickish man thing, which is dig in your heels, never admit to any wrongdoing in the slightest, you know, be defensive about everything um, you were just like, hey, yeah, yeah, that one was kind of in poor taste, and, and you just move on, and that's that's the way it's done, and that's the it's the way it should be done. A big part of what we do is like in dialogue with our audience, you know, like mm-hmm. we're um, we're learning from them all the time, and um, and so hearing how something hits from someone with a different perspective from you is a like major way that any person making art of any kind uh, needs to be like receptive to in order to grow as a creative person, I think. Mm-hmm. But um, but yeah, there are instances where people kind of feel like strongly the opposite and turn out to be like total assholes, <laughs> I guess. Um, I think that the reason I'm saying like some of those unforced errors are things that you do have to learn about the hard way is because I, I don't know if there's any way to know what your audience's, uh, sensitivities and and interests are going to be until you have them. And indeed, exactly. And it's, and what having an audience on the internet puts lie to is the assumption that we had back in the days of traditional media where we were thought like there was the audience. And I imagine what the audience would think about X or Y. Oh, our audience is going to love that. Oh, they're going to hate that. And, you know, if we were imagining anyone remotely like a real person in those instances, it was someone strikingly demographically similar to ourselves, right? And then once you get an, a real <laughs> audience of actual individuated humans on the internet and you see that, in fact, oh, there's not one right way to behave or one right way to talk you know there's not one set of things that's in bounds and one set of things that's out of bounds generally that's bullshit all of that is 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 culturally contextual um and among my audience here we are you know i have found that among this group of people these certain jokes are just kind of people you know kind of gross people out more than make them laugh and this set of jokes, which would in mm-hmm. no way fly to a general audience, would totally get you, quote, you know, whatever, canceled in mainstream people when you make them in the context of like a an Uxbridge Shimoda family of media properties. Like you have this bond of trust that you have that you have developed with your audience where people understand the place that you're coming from. Um, and also you have a sense of what their sensitivities are and what they're, what they like and what they don't and what, what's funny to them and what's kind of gross to them. And you guys have masterfully learned that the only way you can, which is through trial and error. Right. But I don't think we've changed the show based on how much we think of the audience. Like I, I try to think of the audience as little as possible when we do the show. The lessons that I learn occur much later, you know? Like, I think I'm trying to make Ben laugh, and that's the whole point. Like, I can't do that and also 
moderate myself and still be an effective communicator. Like all of all of this is like retrospective, right? This is not a conversation we have with the audience. Yeah. This is a conversation me and Ben have. And then if we're picking stuff up later or hearing about things later, like that's actionable. But I don't know about you, Ben, but like when I do a show, I'm I'm not thinking about any of that. I can't think of any of that. Yeah. I wish I could remember who said this, but I was watching a interview with a director recently and he was talking about like the Marvel films and why they've gotten so they've they've just become the texture of gray paste. Um, and he was saying, uh, something along the lines of what you just said, like basically like an artist is creating art for themselves. And when you're talking about something that is created at a industrial scale by a company like Disney, like they are creating that for as many people as they can get to pay for a ticket. And so it doesn't wind up having the same value as something that an artist makes. Even if like they hire artists to make it, it, it's not quite the same thing. And I, yeah, like the, the thing that makes the show work is, has always been us trying to, trying to get a laugh out of each other and me mostly failing. And I think Goose, like your show, like I think probably has a similar secret sauce. It's like something about the way you, approach making a food dish and the way you think about like why you're doing things in a certain way and 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 then presenting that in the way that you do is not about thinking about like how how it's going to work for the audience it's about you thinking through a recipe i think indeed and i think that generally my stuff is better the more i am myself and just let it all hang out and let it dangle um, and that's honestly, what, what, sorry, what was this person's name who asked the question? <laughs> this is some rail fan on discord. Okay. So person who loves, who's a fan of getting railed. Um, my best advice to you <laughs> is, aren't we all like, don't, yes, we are all, we are all fans of getting railed. I love the railing arts. Um, my best advice is like, don't be worried about screwing up. Just get out there and do it. Like I was successful at what I have been successful at in my life, I think in part because I was at a place in my life where I could not be precious about it. Um, it was do or die. And I just dangled my bits out, you know, from my balcony <laughs> in front of all the people on the street below. Um, and it happened. That's a thing that happened. I try not to think about it. But that's that's how you that is the way you get better really fast is by making an ass out of yourself in public. Right. I mean, I would say to some rail fan that uh, they're thinking about the audience too much, like they're thinking about fucking up too much. Oh, oh, for God's sake. Yeah. Just make make the fucking funny show you want to make. Yeah. Whatever it is. We've told this story a thousand times, but like Ben and I made Greatest Gen figuring assuming that no one would ever listen to it. This was the practice show for the thing that we would take seriously later. Yeah. And I think that that meant everything. Which is so silly because like when I first heard probably from Sarus Farivar um, about the existence of your show, uh, my first thought was, <laughs> God damn it, that's like the best idea in the world. Why couldn't I come up with that? These guys, God, they must have <laughs> just been cooking that for so long because that's just so the idea. That's the idea that you bring to the game, man. That one right there. Yeah. And it turned out we were like the 40,000th pair of white dudes had, that had come up with that idea. <laughs> you were better than all of the others. And that's what matters. Uh, oh, you little so-and-so. Well, <laughs> should we wrap up with one last question? Sounds great. Got to wrap it up, buddy. All right. This one is from the Reddit user Robs, 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 Robs asks, can Adam summarize the film Cromwell in eight words or less? <laughs> you went on uh, Bill and Robs' podcast, right, Goose? I did. You know you know what I did on Bill and Robs' podcast, which, by the way, so Bill and Robs, they have this very sort of, you know, 
they have a, a very particular sort of audience support model where they are they basically only publish on Patreon through their Patreon, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, but they did make their episode with me public on the YouTube. So um, if you want to go and watch it or listen to it, uh, search Bill and Rob's Ragusia Cromwell. Any 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 anything in that word cloud should get you there. Where basically what I did in as I in, just really really baked to 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 know till to, to to next week. Baked hard like a bis like a like a twice baked biscuit like a like a Zvebeck. I was baked hard like a Zvebeck during the taping of that episode, and like I just talked at them for two hours. It was ridiculous about like all of the things I know about the English Civil War period, which is a lot, and like it's like it was so fucking weird. But anyway, you know what I was doing in all of that? I was like that was fanfic. That was friendly fire fanfic. Were you thinking of us during? I was acting out the friendly (laughs) fire episode that I was that that a certain person's choices deprived me of. (laughs) Well, two of the three hosts would have watched that movie. I think I actually got it onto the spreadsheet, but too, too late. Too late. All right. Real last question from Delet on Reddit. Uh, If Ben and Adam Pranica are getting blown out an airlock in their cameo appearance on Star Trek. What would Adam Ragusia like for his cameo? Just walk on roll. Presumably you don't have any lines. You've you- won a contest. <laughs> I think the replicator should be involved, right? That would be fun. That winks at the at the fans. I feel like that's promise of the premise stuff there. If you're gonna have Adam Ragusia on your track program, there there has to be something with the replicator. Could it be a thing? Like we we've established that the replicator can beam food to your plate for you to eat, and it can beam uh, digested food out of your bowels. Right. What if they got it reversed somehow? What if something <laughs> something happened? Like they beamed a turkey dinner directly into my intestines, or you know. <laughs> yeah, I think that's a I think that's a great pitch. And so, so it's just a shot of you exploding with, <laughs> you know, like a like Bur- a burned, replicated bird meat. Yeah, yeah, just just coming out your backside. <laughs> this, this is going to have to be a yeah. lower decks episode, I we, think. No, I know. Well, with, if it's lower decks, then you can get Dorn back to voice delicious. <laughs> Absolutely, you know he'd pick up the phone too. Yeah, hell yeah, you can just sample that shit. I mean, I'm sure you have to pay him residuals, but yeah. You can still sample that shit if you pay for it. Worth every penny. All right, Adam Ragusea. It's been a little slice of heaven having you here on Greatest Trek. We uh, we really appreciate it. We always have such a great time talking to you. Um, where can people find you on YouTube and in podcasting? Oh, let, let's have them not. <laughs> can I just drop through a trap door in the floor? Yeah, yeah you can do that. That's really what I'd like to do. I I would really just like to stay. Can I just stay with your audience? Mm-hmm. You know the only place that I can be on the internet anymore. Oh God, I can't say it. I can't say it because I'll ruin it. But it's it's a fod space on the internet is like the last place that I have where I'm I'm just I'm I'm the person that I was before <laughs> all of the the other stuff happened to me. Right? You know, um, it's like my family and this one kind of like fod forum where we talk about things of mutual interest. Um, and God, it's wonderful. It's the best. I love I love you people. I hope people do not search Adam Ragusea in the search bar on YouTube or their podcast app in that case. That's so good. <laughs> <laughs> do you guys want to do a war movie podcast with me? I will do the shit out of a war movie podcast with the two of you guys. I bet you would. Hear how good I was talking about oh. fucking Cromwell. That's how good I was when I was like baked like a Zvebeck. Imagine if I was just baked like a dinner roll, you know, just like a nice gentle bake. That'd be great. I'm baked like a ziti right now, and uh, it sounds like a good idea to me. I'm in, Goose. (laughs) Let's do it. I love you, boys. Love you too, buddy. Well, Adam, do you want to uh, head over to the Priority One inbox and uh, see what we got going on in there? Yeah, I'm digging them out of Ragusia's koi pond. Priority One message from Starfleet coming in on Secured Channel. 
Our first priority one message is from Samuel Longhorn Clemens, or as I am known proverbially by the populace, Mark Twain. And it's to Benjamin R. Harrison, and it goes like this. In my day, I have been both celebrated and satirized. But to see my visage amidst the stars cavorting with future folk is both a marvel and a jest. While it isn't my aim to perturb your broadcast, I'd reckon that between your time and mine, there's room for some spirited banter and collaboration with humor and respect, Samuel. Oh, I loved hearing that. That made me feel so good. (sighs) And I'm so glad you did Samuel Clemens and not me on Today of All Days. Oh, my God. (laughs) I just don't feel like my voice could take it. I'm like really hate performing that that impression whatever it takes yeah i guess so (laughs) Um, well thanks for writing that in sam adam do you have a pew one to read oh yeah check it out man it's from dave in dc and it's to all afodish everywhere i don't know if this message is also read in kevin's voice so i'm just gonna read it straight okay (laughs) sounds like a safe choice on a recent episode of the show adam encouraged friends of desoto to attend live shows solo I did this recently in D.C., and I was thrilled with how many fellow FODs I met before, during, and after the show. It's a totally cool way to support your favorite pod while simultaneously not getting a divorce. Dave in D.C., (laughs) this was my point all along. My wife and I go to movies separately all the time. Go, Go consume the thing that you like without fear of, like, bumming out your special person. That way you're both happy. Doing the things you like yeah. to do. Good job, Dave in DC. Yeah, good work. Uh, congratulations on not getting a divorce. Um, you know, marriages work. Uh, <laughs> I love knowing that those hangs are as fun for everybody else as they are for yeah. us. Because uh, that is that is just a special thing. Agreed. Um, if you'd like to send a P1, it's maximumfun.org slash jumbotron to set it up. It's 100 bucks for a personal message and 200 for a commercial message. And uh, they really help keep the lights on around here. Well, what a great time we had with the goose today, Ben. Yeah. He's a busy dude. The one uh, segment left, and that is Warning Boise. Prepare a buoy and launch it when ready. Warning Boise. An emergency buoy. A warning buoy. Boy, we've had a, a ton of warning buzz, uh, I think, especially surrounding the release of our 500th episode of Greatest Gen and our 250th of Greatest Trek in the same week. Sure. Uh, we've got so many of them. I'm going to read one here. Uh, this is on Mastodon from Dan Shorst at Mastodon.social. To celebrate Greatest Trek's 500th episode of Greatest Generation, here's a joke that true viewers of the pod will appreciate. And it's a quote from Worf. Humans do the helicopter. Klingons do the Chinook. Behold. And then it's just a a screen grab of Troy and Dr. Beverly with their jaws dropped uh, looking off camera. So you can picture Worf showing them the Chinook. That's what happens when you send a meme through Warning Bois. You, You get the description of the visual. Big fun. Yeah, I liked it. You have a friend that flies Chinooks. Do you think that's uh, accurate? Oh, yeah. I mean, I would assume that they would counter-rotate. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's the big trick. It's like double Dutch jump ropes, you know? Precisely. Yeah. Yeah. And Worf is just doing that mm. for his coworkers. Mm-hmm. What the hell, Worf? Yeah, that's an HR violation. <laughs> I mean, I guess they're all both like his, uh, his healthcare professionals as well, so maybe- yeah. Maybe they are the ones that asked for his pants to be off. Maybe the medical condition is that they were turning in the same direction. Right. Yeah. And he needed to get that fixed. Just dropped in to see what condition his condition was in. Yeah. Uh, well, thanks to everyone who goes on a social media website or onto uh, Apple Podcasts and uh, leaves a nice review of the show, spreads the word, uh, helps us get up there in those algorithms, and uh, we super appreciate it. Sure do. All right. Well, we're going to leave it from here uh, with the hands of our capable editor. We really appreciate everyone who listened and uh, especially everyone who tuned in and watched on the YouTube. Uh, We're trying to grow our little YouTube channel here. And uh, every so often we get an idea for an app that would work great on one. And uh, 
So uh, if you wanted to see what our faces looked like while we were doing this, uh, check out the YouTube channel. <laughs> Lucky you. All right. Bye-bye. Greatest Trek is an Uxbridge Shimoda podcast on the Maximum Fun Network. It's hosted by Ben Harrison and Adam Pranica and produced by Windy Pretty. Today's show was edited by Rob Adler. Thanks to Adam Ragusio for being today's guest and for composing the original theme and interstitial music. Make sure to find Adam on YouTube for his popular cooking channel. Thanks to Nick Dittmore for creating the show art and to Bill Tilly for managing all the at Greatest Trek social media pages. Make sure to use the hashtag Greatest Trek when you talk about the show online. And if you're looking for other ways to support the show, you can always leave a five-star review, share an episode with a friend, get something at podshop.biz, or book a P1 message at MaximumFun.org slash Jumbotron. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next week on Greatest Trek. Maximum Fun, a worker-owned network of artist-owned shows, supported directly by you.